You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. Welcome to our gathering here at City Light South. My name is Tyler. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the elders here. And welcome to those of you who might be joining us online as well this morning. It is good to gather in the name of Jesus. It is good to gather around his word. It's good to gather around the table uh, where we remember what he's done for us, which we'll do in just a moment. We're back in gospel fluency this week. Um, we're up to um, the, uh, we, we, if you can remember back two weeks ago, we, we started talking about the gospel in your heart, the gospel in me. We talked about how what you love is so important in determining and influencing what you do. And today we're going to kind of keep going. We're going to go a bit further into that exploring not only what you love, but what you believe in your mind and how what you believe in your mind influences what you do. And, and we're going to be in, in just a, a bit later, we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage of scripture that maybe if you grew up in the church at some point, I'm sure if you were in Sunday school as a kid, you probably um, t- looked at this passage. You maybe sang a song about it. I had, used to have a poster with this passage on, on my wall. Um, it's in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Um, it's the, the famous passage about spiritual warfare or the armor of God. So if you open up to Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read this passage, then I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, um, down to verse 18. I'm reading from uh, the Christian Standard Bible. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason... Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercessions for all the saints. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for truth. God, would you take this truth, take these words, and come and illuminate our minds through the work of your Spirit? Would you open our eyes and ears and hearts that we might be changed, that we might be made more like Jesus. I ask that the words of my mouth and the the thoughts of my heart as I'm speaking would be pleasing in your sight and would be for your glory and our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do you do the things you do? Why do you do the things you do? I I don't mean um, what do you do to earn money. I mean, just in the everyday, the choices that you make, the way that you react under pressure, things that you don't want to do, but you do anyway. Why, why do you do those things? Why do I do those things? Why is it so hard to control the way we respond to stress? Why do we do the things that we do? Earlier this year, 
there were a few of us in our family, and we made a decision um, to get into a bit of a routine of running or walking five kilometers on Saturday mornings down by the beach here in Christie's uh, as part of the park run event. Some of you have done that with us. Um, maybe because you experienced a little peer pressure. Well, we even convinced a few of our kids to join us. How did we do that? Let me tell you, it was not because they believed that by walking or running five kilometers that they would experience joy like they would not experience by sleeping in. That's not why. It's not even because they just were so excited about seeing their mom and dad just sail across the finish line in glory. That wouldn't bring them joy. In fact, the reason that they agreed to do it was that we told them if they did, if they crossed the finish line, not even in any particular time, but if they crossed the finish line, that we would take them to brunch. It was the Nutella pancakes and the hash browns that put them over the line. That's what got them out of bed at 6.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning to run five kilometers. See, what you believe to be true is a powerful force in determining what you will do in what you might otherwise not do. And so it makes sense that if I were the devil, if I were the enemy of God, if I wanted to lead you away from God to do things that you might not otherwise do or to tempt you to do things in your flesh, that I don't, I'm not going to start with trying to change and manipulate your behavior. I need to start with what you believe to be true. And if I can convince you that what God says is not true, or that something opposite to what God says is true, then I can control your behavior. How you believe, what you believe, especially lies that you believe, impacts the way you live. Now, um, you, you might have heard this, that the best way to recognize a fake of anything is to spend a lot of time studying the real thing. I used to work at a bank. That's true. You, you want to be able to recognize counterfeit notes, um, you study the real thing. And you can more, much more easily um, spot the counterfeits. Um, American money, I worked in American banks, so I'll give you my experience. Uh, during the time I worked there, they, re, they revised the notes. They, um, they put the, um, like the picture, the, the image of the, the, the president, the dead presidents that are on the, the money in the U.S., they made it really big. It used to be kind of small. They made it really big. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason on Australian money why the images on of the queen or whoever's on the money on the bill are, are, are large. Because folks who are trained to spot counterfeit money are trained to stare at the image on the bill. Because that is most, most often where you can spot a fake, is by looking at the image. Um, we've done this with the gospel. That's why we wanted to start with getting the truth of the gospel, the basics of the gospel right. Because the more familiar you are with the truth, with the beauty of Jesus, the easier it will be to spot the lie, to recognize, you know, that's not, that's not true. That's not beautiful. That's not good news. You'll, you'll just, you'll see it, you'll spot it. But it doesn't mean that we won't ever fall victim or fall prey to lies. 
we realize um, that the very first man and woman created in God's image, when the serpent comes to tempt them in the garden, the serpent doesn't start out with, hey, look at this fruit. Look at how good it is. Why don't you eat it? He gets there eventually. But where does he start? He starts with a question. Did God really say that if you eat this, you'll die? No, you won't die. In fact, he knows that if you eat this, your eyes will be open and that you will be like him, discerning good and evil. Now, there's, there's some mixture of truth in that. Their eyes were opened. They were able to discern good and evil once they ate the fruit. But there was enough untruth, there was enough lie mixed in with the truth that what they came to believe influenced and impacted their behavior. And the rest is history. The rest is history. So how many times do we, do we question the story, question the truth, and start believing lies? How, many of, how, how often do we, we just forget parts of it? See, one of the realities that we all face every day is that the gospel is not the only story we hear. We hear lots of other stories, lots of lesser stories, and we're tempted to believe those. Remember I said the gospel answers these, these key questions, like what, what is your true identity? What is your true problem? Who is your savior? What is your savior? And then what is your hope? What's your true hope? Uh, the gospel offers the best and most beautiful answers to those questions, but there are other stories that also answer the same questions. And we're often tempted to believe those. False gospels offering false hope. I, I want you to, we're going to use an analogy this morning of a of, of, of tree. A tree uh, that has fruit on it, like an, an apple tree and a tree with roots. And if you think about what you believe, what you believe, whether it's truth or a lie, is at the root of who you are. It's under the surface. It's not something that you see um, straight away or that others can see and discern immediately. It's somewhat hidden. But if the root, at the root of who you are is healthy, you are feeding on truth, on the living water of the gospel, then the whole plant, the whole tree, all of you will be healthy. You see evidence, though, of a healthy plant, not by necessarily digging down and examining the root, but by looking at the leaves, how lush they are, looking at the fruit, how abundant it is. Is it coming out in season? The fruit of the tree is your behavior. It's the way you speak. It's the way you live. It's the way you think. It's the way you hope. That's what people see. That's what you see. That's the fruit of your life. And the fruit of your life exposes the root of your life, what you believe, what you actually believe. Let me walk through a couple of examples, kind of some negative examples of false gospels that we tend to believe these days, lies we believe. We looked a couple of weeks ago at the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler believed in a false gospel that we might call the gospel of things 
or the gospel of money, the gospel of possessions and influence. And this gospel will tell you that the more you have, the happier you are, the more secure you are. In the end, we know that it's a false hope. It's a false gospel because, and this is true, you'll learn this eventually if you haven't figured this out already, the more that you have, whether it's money, whether it's influence, whether it's position, the more you have, the more you want. It is never enough. Ever. In fact, we are one of the most, the wealthiest group of humans in the history of the planet. And yet, we suffer statistically, we know this, from the highest levels of anxiety and unhappiness. Because the more you have, the more you want. It is a false gospel that always disappoints. If you have, you want. You can't be happy if someone else next to you has more than you. And you always are worried about the what ifs. What if I can't pay my rent next month? What if I lose my job? And you get angry at anybody who threatens the security that you have in your things. See, what you believe to be true impacts the way you live. A bad root leads to bad fruit. Another gospel story we hear a lot today is the gospel we call of expressive individualism. It's a big word, so let me, let me just explain what that is. Um, the gospel of expressive individualism basically says this. You are born wonderfully unique. Okay, that's, that's, that's okay. That's, that's not a bad start. Um, and, and, and your hope, your salvation in life is that you look within yourself and discover who you are, discover your true identity, discover your true worth, discover your own voice, and discover your own truth, and then live accordingly. The problem we face is that, problem you face is that other people in the world do not recognize your worth. They don't believe your truth. They won't listen to your voice. And so salvation in this gospel is to drown them out, to drown out all the ne negativity, all the haters. Cut those people out of your life and be free to live your truth as long as you don't hurt anyone else. You might be rich, you might be poor, but you will be happy because you're being true to yourself. And if you saw the movie The Greatest Showman, Probably the most popular song from that soundtrack encapsulates this gospel, the song, This Is Me. There's a writer called Trevin Wax, and he, puts, he says about that song, he says, this song, here's what it's about. It's about coming to terms with who you are, flaws and all, and then defiantly expressing that identity to the world. Well, what's wrong with this gospel? What's wrong with this gospel? Trouble with it is that this gospel offers no permanent hope, no guarantees that by living your truth, you will actually be happy, that you will be permanently happy. How is it that your living your truth will live on and continue on beyond the grave? It feels empowering, but in the end, it's actually empty because there is no permanence to it. Let's bring it closer to home. What, what are some of the false gospels, the lies that you and I believe? One way to identify the lies is start by looking at the fruit of your life. Like, what are the things I asked at the beginning? Why do you do the things you do? What are the things that you tend to do that you wish you did not? 
Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's impatience. I, I, whatever it is for you. Paul, you know, if, you, if you're thinking, well, what, what kind of, what bad fruit? What are you talking about? Well, Paul lists a few in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3. He says, in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. And if we're honest, there are a couple of phrases in that list that hit home for every single person in this room, me included. And, and, and if you see, this is the fruit of your life. If you see these things popping up, and particularly, again, when you're under pressure, when you're reacting to situations and like, that are stressful, if you see this fruit coming out, you, you can get to work tracing that fruit back to something underground, something that you believe Something that is not true that leads to this kind of fruit. For example, uh, one of the words in here is irreconcilable. You just really struggle to get on with certain people. You, you just, there are just people in your life that are, no, I, they are just annoying, no. And if you trace that fruit back to the root, you probably will find some kind of belief in what we might call the gospel of performance. And this gospel says, I am what I am, and I have what I have because I earned it. And people around me who are struggling, and we don't like to say this out loud because it sounds judgmental, but some of us really believe this. The people around us who are struggling, it's because they're just not working hard enough. They just haven't figured it out. They just need to get their act together. See, what you believe at the root always comes out, it always shows itself in fruit. It always becomes visible to ourselves and to others. So if we're prone to lies, believing lies that work their way out into the way we live, what do we do about it? What, what do we do about it? The answer shouldn't be surprising. We've got to get down to the level of the root, to the level of what we believe, to expose that false belief that we might pour onto that fourth false belief, onto those roots, the truth of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about going to war against lies, against false beliefs, things that we just automatically kind of absorb from the culture around us and from our sinful flesh. Paul says, although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, what Paul is saying here is that our behavior, that fruit, that bad fruit, it starts in the realm of our thinking, our believing. Bad beliefs lead to bad behavior. So the front lines of the battle aren't just to kind of try to really grit our teeth and stifle our urges cut ourselves off from temptation. Although those things, there's some things that might be necessary, but if that's all we do, then we've missed the root of the issue. And, 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 and that's, that strategy of just dealing only with the level of behavior makes us, makes us nice unbelievers. And you can be a nice unbeliever on the way to hell. We don't want that. 
We don't want that. I don't want that for you. We don't want that for one another. And so we've got to get to the root. We've got to get to the heart. Let me give you an example. Let's say that like, like me, like many of us, you struggle to keep your mouth under control when you get stressed or angry. Things get heated and you get loud. You get aggressive. You say things that later you come to regret. I mean, imagine if your mouth came in with, came with like a built-in sort of anger sensor. Like your blood pressure starts to go up, and then suddenly it's like the mute button kicks in. You just can't talk. I mean, that would be amazing, right? Like, and for some of us. But God didn't design us that way. Here's the thing, and here's why I think he didn't design us this way, with this sort of auto-mute feature, is that even if you don't vocalize, I mean, that's better, like, to, to not vocalize, but you still fought it. It's still there. And Jesus says holiness is, is a holiness of the heart. Even if it doesn't actually escape the lips. Hatred, anger, is a heart issue. And so, so we've got to deal with that. We've, uh, we've got to deal with at the level of heart transformation, not just behavior transformation. Jeff Anderselt is the one who used, where I got this analogy of the, of the tree and the roots, and he borrows it from Paul Tripp and others. And, and it's, it's this picture. It helps us understand the relationship between what we believe and what we do so that we can learn to take our sinful beliefs and thoughts captive to obey Christ. And he gives us these, a set of some diagnostic questions that are, that are helpful and to try to, you, you see the fruit, you experience the fruit of, let's say, anger, an angry outburst, and you go, why do I do that? And you say, well, here, here's three questions you can trace back to the roots. First one is, who am I? So using the example of a quick temper, you know, a person who's all reaction, no filter. If that's you, ask yourself this question, who am I? You might say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a person who needs respect. And that's a belief. And that belief will impact behavior. Uh, second question to ask, what has God done? Well, God's allowed this frustrating, toxic idiot to be a part of my life. That's belief. Third question, who is God? Well, he's off dealing with the bigger things in the world. And if I wait on him to deal with this person, I'll be waiting around forever. So I've got to deal with it. I've got to put them in their place. That's a belief. You see how what we believe impacts what we do. I'm sure most days, I know this most days, I can uncover multiple lies that I'm believing. Lies about God, who he is, about what he's done, and about myself, who I am. And, and, and what this process is, really tracing the fruit down to the root so that we might pour onto the root the truth of the gospel, there's a word for this process, and it's the word repentance. Repentance is, in the original language, a change of mind before it's a change of behavior. This is what repentance looks like. Think about Paul's language for a minute. If you, from 2 Corinthians, he said, take captive every thought to obey Christ. Take captive. Where does that imagery come from? Where, where, where are captives taken? Well, they're taken on the battlefield in a war. The journey of repentance, of sanctification, of replacing lies with gospel truth so that you bear gospel fruit, it's not an easy one. 
It's not a walk in the park. This is a battle. This is a battle that we're all in for every single one of us. And if that sounds weird to you, it's possible that maybe you've just become very, very comfortable with mediocrity, with just kind of coasting along and just, well, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. I'm, you know, life is short, so I'll just kind of coast under the radar. But see, the Christian life, to use Jesus' words, is cross-shaped. It's an invitation to die to yourself. It's an invitation for, a tra- for your transformed heart to work itself out into fruit that is a blessing to you and to the world. Anyone who wants to be like Jesus must deny himself, Jesus said, to take up his cross and follow him. But what hope do we have of moving even one step towards right thinking and right living? Can't we just rest in the fact that nobody's perfect and God is gracious to forgive? And I want you to hear this, friends. I want you to hear this. You don't have to settle for that. You don't have to. God loves you the way you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you that way. You can change. Not by yourself, not in your own strength, no. Not by the world's strategies of self-help and behavior modification, but by his strategies of pouring the water of the gospel on the roots of your life. It is a battle. But I want to tell you this, it's not your battle. It's his battle. He's fighting for you. And so that's why I want to spend just the next few minutes reflecting on one of the most famous, perhaps the most famous battle passage in all of the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. We read it before. And I just want to walk through this kind of, you know, bit by bit. I'll start with the beginning, verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. When it comes to fighting any battle, you have to start by knowing what kind of battle you're in. You got to know the nature of the battle. Is it a battle of wits? Uh, A dance battle? Battle of magic spells? What kind of battle is this? We've already identified that the front lines of this battle is what we believe with our minds. It's in our minds. Do we believe the truth of the gospel or do we believe lies? So you might think maybe this is a battle that the, you know, smart people have an advantage. No. Paul's, this passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, Ephesian church is meant to set our hearts Right? Set us straight, set our minds at ease. Verse 10, he says this. He says, be strengthened by the Lord and the Lord's strength. This is not about any person's IQ. This is about the Lord and his strength. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. It's God's armor so that you can stand. What's the nature of the battle? It's first and foremost God's battle. God is invested in the outcome. He cares that you win this battle. In fact, Jesus died for you that you will, will win this battle. God always finishes what he starts. Whether you take every thought captive today or tomorrow or the day after that, God is deeply invested in the outcome. All of it matters. And he will see to it that you have full 
access, full access, not just to a little bit of help, not to reluctant help, but to all of his strength, his vast strength, his full armor, all of his resources are at your disposal. This is God's battle before it's yours or mine. But then who are we fighting? Who's the enemy? Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Second thing I want you to know about this battle is that we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy and that enemy is plotting against you. That enemy is Satan, the devil, and all of his demonic forces and how they are manifested in the world. He hates you. He hates you. And the reason he hates you is that you were created in the image of his enemy. The reason that the serpent came to Eve in the garden and said, did God really say? Is because the serpent hated the woman. The serpent hated Eve. And the serpent hated Eve because the serpent hated God first. And Eve was his representative. You are his representative. That is why he hates you. See, all of the honor that Satan craves, God gave to you. That's why he hates you. He'll do everything in his power to hide from you who you really are, to get you to believe that you are less than, to hide your true problem. He'll hide that from you to get you to believe that to, so that you don't see that your true problem is separation from God. It's turning away from God. It's rebelling against God. And he'll hide this true solution to your problem, which is Jesus and his sacrificial death on our behalf on the cross. And he will hide our true hope, your true hope, which is that you one day will reign with him if you're in Christ in the new creation glory forever. And so the, the only way that we have at our disposal to fight against Satan is to be immersed in the truth, to be immersed in the truth. Th those are the weapons we fight with. The battle we fight is God's battle. It's against Satan and his lies. So, so let's look now at how the battle is won. Let's look at the armor. The full armor of God. I don't know what you picture in your mind when you think of armor. I mean, I, I told you before I had this poster of this passage on my wall as a kid. and It was a huge, shiny um, shield and, and a sword. And, you know, and it, 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 we, we've got to be brave and, and courageous and hold on to the, you know, the, the Bible and hold on to these, you know, Christian language and, and, and then we'll be, we'll be good. And, and again, it, it gets kind of in the ballpark of what we're talking about here. All this armor, it's, you know, it's super shiny. And so as a, as a boy, you know, I'm picturing myself wearing this armor and wielding this armor as like a superhero. But I wonder, what if I'm not strong enough to carry this shield? Because shields are heavy. Swords are heavy. They're actually really hard to use. The order that Paul introduces the armor here is important. He didn't start with the shield and the sword. Where does he start? He starts in verse 14 with a belt, 
Now, belts, well, I mean, I guess unless you're talking about like a carpenter's tool belt. Belts are pretty light for the most part. They're pretty light. But it's the belt of truth. Why start there with the belt of truth? Because remember the nature of the battle. This is a battle of we're fighting against lies with truth. That's the front line. That's the nature of Satan's schemes. Satan's schemes are to get you to believe lies. And so we start with the truth, the truth that is better, the truth that is more beautiful, the truth that is eternal. So the next time you succumb to whatever it is, to anger, to lust, to gossip, and Satan comes in right then to accuse you and say, see, see who you are? That's who you are. You're, you're guilty. You're shameful. You're a disappointment. You're a failure. You're a hypocrite. Here's what you do in that battle. You remember the truth. You remember the truth. In, you're in Christ. You're forgiven. You're a son. You're a daughter. Which is how you have access to all the armor. It's not your armor, it's the armor of God. And God was not surprised by your sin. In fact, he was so unsurprised by your sin that he actually wrote it into the story. He wrote it into the plot of his grand plan of salvation. And you know that truth. When you know that truth, you believe it, and you pour that on the roots of your life. That is how you come to overcome the lies. So what's the next piece of armor? Some, some translations call it the breastplate of righteousness. It's significant because the righteousness we wear does not belong to us. It is the righteousness, the righteous life of Christ. And that righteousness, his righteousness, his perfection, his obedience, it covers the very core of who you are. It covers your heart. Let's keep going. I think there's some evidence in this passage that Paul was familiar with Australian culture. He looks at us struggling Aussie Christians, and he says, put your shoes on. Like, really, put your shoes on. Why? He said, because you've got to be ready to take the gospel to yourself and to wherever, wherever it needs to go, to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers. It means you need to know the gospel. Sharing the gospel with another person, even preaching to yourself, is such a gift. But for a lot of us, it is about as comfortable as walking on hot sand on a 40-degree day. The sand is hot. The arrows are coming. They're on fire. He says, put your shoes on. Know the gospel. Be ready to preach it to yourself in a moment's notice. He said, then take the shield of faith. A real shield, I said, made of metal, is very heavy. But this is the shield of faith. Faith in what? If you go back to the beginning of the passage, the imagery of the armor it's not about how strong you and I are. It's about not, not about how strong our faith is, even. This is about how strong God is. And that's truth that doesn't change. Because even wavering, weak faith is strong enough because it is faith in God. Man, we've got to get that. I, I think sometimes we... We, we mess that up. We think, you know, oh, well, man, I just, I don't, I don't know. I have these doubts. I have these questions. I messed up. My faith isn't good. Please just give me more faith. That's not a bad thing to, to pray. But our faith grows the more our knowledge of who he is grows. 
because it's faith in him. It's not faith in ourselves. It's not faith in our own faith. It's uh, the shield of faith. It, it, it's interesting. It says, it, it, you know, you think of a shield be deflecting arrows in a battle, but it doesn't say, it says, notice the language here. It doesn't say the, the, uh, the, the shield of faith to deflect the arrows. It says to extinguish them. These arrows are on fire. And how do you extinguish a fire? Well, with water. What kind of water? The water of gospel truth. See, holding the shield of faith is simply the defiant act of not believing in yourself. It's the defiant act of believing the gospel when it's hard. And that extinguishes the devil's arrows. And again, this is not, and this is what we've been saying all along about the gospel. This is not for when you become a Christian at the beginning of your Christian life. This is in, as it says in verse 16, in every situation. In everything that you find yourself facing in every day, everyday life. Let's say you wake up one day and you find that for that day you don't have enough money to pay the bills that you owe. Here's what the shield of faith does. The shield of faith keeps you from sinking into despair in your heart. Because here comes the arrow. Here comes the arrow. Brother, you're broke. You got no job. You got no hope. You got no future. Here's the shield. Here's the shield. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. You have a family that can take care of you. You have a God who gives generously to those who ask. You might be poor, but if you have Jesus, then you're richer than Elon Musk. That is the shield of faith. That is how every flaming arrow of the enemy is extinguished. In verse 17, it says, put on the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the Spirit. The helmet is what protects your mind where the battle is waged, that you might know that you are saved. How do we know? So the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, the source of the truth that cuts down the lies. Fruit ninja style. And we can't miss verse 18. Paul doesn't give a, a word picture There's, for, for prayer. He's talking about prayer in verse 18. He, he doesn't associate it with a particular piece of armor or a weapon. Um, so I'm going to borrow one, uh, a word picture from modern-day preacher John Piper. He, he calls prayer the walkie-talkie of the battlefield. It's a two-way radio. Remember, if this is God's battle against Satan and his lies, then we have to be in constant conversation with him. God, help us believe. Show us yourself. God, help my unbelief. Show us what is true about who you are and what you're doing, because that's how we persevere. That's how we stand. That's how we win. Battle's not won by, you know, based on how smart we are or how strong we are or how much stamina we have. Battle's won and lost by how often we ask and cry for help on our knees. Some of you are in here are uh, medical professionals or you've been in a hospital before and you know what the call button is. And I suppose, I'm not a medical professional, but I, if I was one, I, if I had a patient who was just, you know, constantly pushing the call button, that would get a bit annoying. It's never annoying for God. You have the call button in your hand for a reason. And you can press it as many times as you want. And God is there to hear, to help, to reassure, 
to give peace where you have anxiety. Guys, we're on the front lines. This is not an optional extra. This is built into who we are. And by God's grace, he is our help every single day. In him, we have everything that we need. Every single piece of armor. What do they all have in common? See, they all point us back to the true source of power to defeat the enemy. They keep us, they point us back not to ourselves, but to him. They keep our eyes locked on the source of our power, which is Jesus. The belt of truth, he is truth. The breastplate of righteousness, he is our righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness. Feet fitted with readiness for the gospel of peace. Jesus is the hero of the gospel story. He is the prince of peace. The shield of faith. Faith in who? Not faith in ourselves. We're saved by faith in Jesus. The helmet of salvation. He is our salvation. The sword of the spirit. He is the eternal word of God. The sword of the spirit of Christ. The battle is won by holding on to our faith in Jesus, by standing firm when the arrows are flying and the lies are coming thick and fast. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is enough in the battle, that he is enough in the worst moments of life? Or is it Jesus plus money? Jesus plus a lot of people who like me and tell me nice things. Is it Jesus plus sweet revenge? Or Jesus plus maybe a little passive aggression? Jesus plus a, an impressive resume? I want to circle back to the question that we started with. Why do you do the things you do? You follow your, your loves, which follow your beliefs. So do you believe that Jesus is enough? Because if you do, then you are on your way to bearing beautiful fruit. You're on your way to life change, to the fruit of the Spirit, to love, self-control, peace, freedom, joy. If at the root of who you are is faith in Jesus, then when life gets tough, what you believe will flow out. Just those questions again, those three questions. Who am I? Who is God? Or what, sorry, who am I? Who is God, what has God done and who is God? If we answered them like this, how different we might be. Who is God? God is gracious and loving, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. God is also just, and he will not let sinners go unpunished. What has God done? Well, in his kindness, he has led me, he's led you to repentance. He's saved us. Who am I? Well, because of his great love for me, he made me alive in Christ, even though I was dead in sin. So, so now when, when the arrow comes from the devil, and he tells you, you know what? When your coworker, your boss, or whoever it is insults you, God doesn't care. He doesn't care at the, about the person that just had a, a, a go at you. You know, see, you know the truth. You know the truth. You have power in the gospel to control the words that come out of your mouth and the words that you think and believe in your heart. So instead of speaking death and disdain, you can speak life and peace because you know who God is. You know what he's done, and you know who you are in Christ. We've all been there. We've all been on the, the receiving end of someone else's anger, someone else's cruelty or unfair criticism. And, and this isn't a sermon just about how to respond in that situation. It's just the example I've given 
Um, I could give you a self-help pep talk on, you know, how to win friends and influence people, but I won't because I've got something better to give you this morning, and that is good news, not good advice, good news. The gospel of Jesus, the truth about Jesus. Here, here's some truth, and I want to close with this, comes, close with this passage um, and then a blessing. This is Isaiah uh, chapter 59, verses 15 to 18. And this is looking forward. The prophet looks forward, and is, this is talking about Jesus. The Lord saw that there was no justice. Picture yourself in that situation where someone has just attacked you for, for no reason. In your family, at work, wherever. The Lord saw there was no justice, and he was offended. He saw that there was no man he was, he was amazed that there was no one interceding. So what did he do? His own arm brought salvation. His own righteousness supported him. He put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak, so he will repay according to their deeds. See what? How is it that, that we can forgive someone when we're unfairly attacked? How is it that we can control the things that come out of our mouth and the thoughts in our heart? Because God, your God, the Lord Jesus, put on armor and went to battle for you and me. The only way that you and I can change the things that we do, change our behavior, is to hold on for dear life to this truth. Jesus wore the armor first, and he wore it best. Before he asked you to put on armor, he put on that armor himself. He is every single day fighting for his bride. He's up at the front fighting, protecting. He's in control, and he won't stop until you and I are spotless, a spotless reflection of him. So if you're discouraged this morning, look at him. If you're scared this morning, run to him. If you don't know where to start, then let's do it together. Every single day, one step after another, after another, until we're all at the finish line, and we're all standing there wearing the armor, the very righteousness of Jesus. Let me close with this blessing before we take communion. This is from the letter to, of Jude. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you, this battle that we fight is your battle. You haven't, left, you haven't handed us a bunch of armor that's too heavy for us to pick up and said, good luck with that. No, Lord, you are out there in the front wearing the armor, leading us on to believe what is true and beautiful. Lord, you are our true Savior. You are our true hope. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us to cling on to what is true. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can 
find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.